All right. Well, good morning. Everybody doing good? It's a lie. Not everybody's doing good. <laughs> it's impossible. Like, but it's good to be together. I'm really glad to be together. Really glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Thank you to all of you that have chosen to worship with us online today. We're really glad you're here. We are in a series in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 6 today, verses 1 to 14 and verses 22 to 23. Romans 6, 1 to 14 and verses 22 and 23. So I'll just kind of remind you that Romans is a letter written to the church at Rome from the Apostle Paul. It's a letter that's meant to be read all at once. And we're taking it and sort of dissecting it into smaller pieces, but I would encourage you to read it from start to finish uh, at some point so that you can feel and hear and understand the theme and the flow of the letter. I think it's really important. If I wrote you a letter uh, and mailed it to you and you got it, you probably wouldn't read just the first three lines and then put it back and wait a week and pick it up again and read the next three lines, but you'd read the whole thing. And that's how this was meant to be uh, read and understood. So the first four chapters or five chapters of the book of Romans, we've talked a lot about being justified by faith. We found this goodness in the cross of Jesus Christ and the work of his death and resurrection that says to us, uh, we can't work our way to being right with God, but he has justified us by our faith in Jesus Christ. And that was grace. That was a gift. That was something that he did for us. But in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, Paul kind of makes a shift and now starts to talk to us about this issue of sin and our personal responsibility as we live life in uh, Jesus. And so that's where we'll pick up today. If you'll stand with me, we will read Romans chapter 6, 1 to 14, and verses 22 and 23. Here is what the scripture says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life." For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments For unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. And then verse 22 and 23. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can be seated. I want to talk a little bit about a new way of living, a better way to be human that Paul talks about right here in Romans chapter uh, 6. We have to think about, in our walk with Christ, we have to think about personal sin. It's an issue. In fact, so much so that in Romans chapter 6, the English Standard Version translates Paul's letter Uh, using the word sin 17 different times in Romans chapter 6. Personal sin is the issue that we are going to deal with as we look at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And Paul begins uh, by asking three questions in this category of should we continue in our sin and abuse grace? Now, here are the three questions that we see in Romans chapter 6, 1 to 3. Question number one, should we keep sinning so grace may abound? In other words, now that I'm justified by faith and saved by grace, can I do whatever I want and just prove grace abounds? Now you may think, that's ridiculous. In that day, there was a group called the antinomians who were asking that very question, like, why, if you're justified by faith, can't you just sin as much as you want? Uh, it's the same questions, actually, that the Jews and the Muslims ask us as Christians today. Why would that be? If you're justified by faith, couldn't you just sin as much as you want to sin, right? Uh, That's called grace abuse, right? But this is one of the questions that Paul is asking to begin with to frame this narrative. Like, should we be like that? Should we keep sinning and so prove that grace abounds? Second question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I mean, if we, we trusted Christ and we were justified by faith and we've been freed from sin to a new way of living... How can we still live in it? Now, let me just ask a practical question. Since the time you confessed Christ as your Savior and Lord, have you struggled with sin? Good answer. At least one of you is not a liar. The rest of you are struggling. Uh, It's true that we, after confessing Christ as trusting him, being justified and all that, we still struggle with sin. So he asked, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And the third question Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We identify with Jesus, and he's already died to sin and raised to walk in new life, and because we've identified with him, so have we, so why would we have to go back to sin? These are the questions that frame Paul's argument. Now, in chapter 6, he gives us one huge point of doctrine with about four or five subpoints that we need to understand. Doctrine is just the truth that we stand on so we know how to practically apply this gospel thing. And he's going to end with practical application, but the doctrine falls under the heading of this. We have been raised to an entirely new way of living. We have been raised to an entirely new way of living. It's a new way. It's a better way. It is the way to be human the best possible way, uh, and that is only in and through Christ. In a sense, we've come through the waters of baptism to a, a completely different status, a completely different way to live. 
Now, let me just back up and remind you who Paul is, right? If you remember like second, no, first sermon in the book of Romans, I talked about who Paul is. And we said, yes, uh, Roman citizenship, uh, yes, deep thinker, but also Jewish, discipled by Gamaliel. I mean, he knows both worlds very, very well. And what he does in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 is he appeals not only to the Roman mindset, the nations that have come from Rome that are living, have lived in this, this culture that is riddled with idolatry and sin. You cannot walk down a Roman road without practicing idolatry. The appetite uh, for anything fleshly in Rome is huge. When you, when you study Rome for 30 seconds, you find out Rome has all the same problems that we have as Americans. It is a fleshly, self-centered, appetite-driven culture. So you've got that in the church at Rome. And then you've also got these Jewish people in the church of Rome. And so Paul's appealing to both. To the Jewish mind in the church of Rome, they're going to hear in Romans 6, 7, and 8 echoes of Exodus. So when they hear words like enslaved to sin, Romans 6, 7, and 8 actually tell a different part of the story, but let me just connect the dots for you really quickly. So in Exodus, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were in captivity to Egypt. They were enslaved. They were slaves in Egypt. And God brought them through out of Egypt. He sent to deliver and brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the waters of the Red Sea. You may remember the parting of the Red Sea. They go through the waters of the Red Sea and eventually into the promised land, right? A new way of living, a new status, a new, a new household, all of those kinds of things. The same thing Paul is saying here is like, look, you were enslaved to sin. And I sent Uh, God sent a deliverer. His name is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And the deliverer brought you through the waters of baptism where you you said symbolically, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. God raised him from the dead. And in that baptism, you were buried with him in baptism. You identified with him in his death on the cross, his burial in the tomb. You, You died to yourself in that moment, and you were raised to walk in this new life, this newness of life, this new way of living, just as Jesus was raised. Once he was raised, resurrected, he, he would never die again because he had already died and been raised to life. And Paul, this is the metaphor Paul is using. It's like, look, doctrinally speaking, you identify with him in these ways. It's like the people of Egypt were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the waters to new status, to a new land, to a new way of living, promised land. Same thing has happened to you and me as followers of Jesus. This is the picture, and the gospel is declaring Jesus' death uh, is enough to release us from this slavery to sin. It is a new exodus out of sin and into, into life. Now, here are the kind of the four master the obvious sort of sub-points of doctrinal truth that Paul points out here that we, we, should, we should own, we should understand. The first one, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, if you just look at it, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Our baptism, though symbolic, 
shows that we identify with Jesus' death, that we were buried to the old way of living, right? That we are no longer enslaved to sin. Second thing we learn here is that our baptism also shows we were raised to walk in newness of life. Verse four and five says, just as much as you were buried to him uh, and, 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 and identify with him in his death, you were raised to walk in this newness of life. Those aren't just words we say in the baptistry. They come from the book of Romans. And we're saying like, now we're free to live a whole new way, a better way, this new life that Jesus has called us to live, not enslaved to sin, but free from sin. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, This is doctrinal truth. This is what Jesus has done. This is what's happened as we've been justified by faith. Uh, Verses six and seven teach us that our old self was crucified with Christ and we're no longer slaves to sin. Look at verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. He's saying like, look, you are free. You're free. Now, I'm just going to ask you the sidebar question. We'll come back to it. Do you feel free from sin? Do you feel free from sin. Galatians chapter 2, 20 to 21, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't abuse it. I don't sin all that I want to just to prove that he is gracious. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Because of respect for the blood of Christ, I don't don't live that way. Um, If we died with Christ, we also believe that we live with him. Verse 8, 9, and 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That death, when we identified with it, we died with him to sin. And since he's been raised to walk a new life, we've been raised to walk with him. This is the doctrine, right? This is the truth. This is what the scripture teaches us, what the gospel clearly says about what it means to be justified by faith. I'll come back to the sidebar question. Do you feel free from sin? So the lie that the enemy tells us, there are all, as much as there is truth, there's always lies. The enemy is always contradicting the truth. And so the enemy, there's a very common lie around this doctrine that people I have heard, and, and I can say that I've been tempted to believe from time to time, but I've heard over and over again in the, in the context of ministry is this, the lie is this, let me just expose it, that you may think or believe that the only way that you can be free from a particular sin is to die and go to heaven. That you're gonna need to die to be free of that, and once you get to heaven, you'll be free. It'll be good, it'll be great. God's that gracious, he can do that. 
And uh, if I, I, I can't give it up, I can't stop, I've tried, I got to die. That's the lie that people believe. They start living with sin because they really believe that it's, it's only going to take like me turning 85, 90, 100 years old and going to be with Jesus before that thing stops. But that is opposite of everything that the, that the, the gospel is telling us, that we've been raised to walk in new life now, and we don't have to wait to die in the body. We've already died. We've already been buried. We've already died to our old self, but the enemy really wants to trap us in this thought that, yes, he's going to give you heaven when you die, but here you're going to be in a cage. Here you're going to be in a cage called, called sin. Now, this is opposite of what the scripture teaches. What we learn here is a change of status. Listen, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the Garden of Eden, and we were born into it. Uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We're going to find in this passage. What we deserve because of our sin is death. But because of Jesus, because he's justified us by faith, we've had a change of status. I'm not, no longer earning the wages of sin, but now I've been set free from sin, justified by faith. That's an act of grace, a free gift on his part. And now my status has changed. I, I'm living a new way, a new Life. I'm a son or a daughter, not an enemy or at war with God. It's a complete change of status. We, we die to that Adam way of living and that, that slavery to sin, and we live freely in Christ. This is the doctrine. This is the truth that opposes the lie that says you can't be free of sin. Let me ask you this question again. Do you feel free from sin? So Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, is a transition into what is the practical application of this section. Verse 11 says, so because of all this, you, must, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So because of all this, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That consider yourselves word in Greek is actually like a bookkeeping term or an accounting term. It's like he's saying, consider it, sum it all up, add it all up. And you may be surprised at how good the sum is when you come to the bottom and you tabulate everything. You, you may not believe how, how good it is because it is so good that it's transferred you from, this gospel has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're no longer enslaved to sin, but you're a slave to God. You don't have to live that way. How many would, you would all say that you've sinned, but how many of you would say like your sin made your life better? (laughs) Maybe for 30 seconds, it felt better, but then it didn't because it always burdens. It always entraps. It always causes chaos. It always breaks relationships. It always, always kills, steals, and destroys. It's that kind of master sin is. It's a, it's, it's, it's a tyrannical slavery. But, but Paul's telling us that we need to consider the gospel as followers of Jesus, add it all up. It's so good. And we can consider, consider ourselves then dead to sin and alive uh, to Christ. So how then should we approach the very real issue of sin? That's the doctrine. We know we're supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive with Christ. 
How then should we approach the very real issue of sin? And this is what 11 to 14 and then 22 to 23 really point out. Origen, <clears throat> which, who is the most influential theologian of the uh, anti-Nicene period, which is like after the disciples till 325 AD, Origen said, to obey the cravings of sin is to be alive to sin, but not to obey the cravings of sin or succumb to its will. This is the, to die to sin. It's, I want to read that again so you, you hear it because it's like the most master of the obvious statement ever by a, an, a, a theological intellect. To obey the cravings of sin is to be alive to sin but not to obey the cravings of sin or succumb to its will. This is to die to sin. It's that simple, according to Origen. Another great theologian, Bob Dylan, wrote, um, you may know him better. You've got, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And this is actually true. It's actually very true. It's deeply true. In Christ now, you are under no obligation to serve the tyrannical slave master's sin. You don't owe sin anything. You're free from sin. Uh, Though there is a force making demands and backing it up with threats, like you must live like this. Indulge yourself. Make yourself the center of the universe. Lie, steal, cheat. Appease your appetites. If you don't, you're missing out on real life. Have you ever heard those lies before? You all have. I know you all. It's actually a death trap. And for the Christian to buy into that again is is to be set free and then choose again the cage. To be set free and then choose again the cage. Let me explain. Uh, anybody ever had a bad landlord in their life? Come on, raise your hand, be loud, be proud. If they're in the room, point them out. We need to know. <laughs> um, a bad landlord is a bad thing. It's, it's difficult. You, you sign a lease, you're in an agreement. They don't keep it up there into the agreement. What are you going to do? You got to keep paying, all this kind of stuff. So there's a story of a ban- bad landlord and a good landlord. So the bad landlord, you signed this lease, you thought it was going to be great, but everything was terrible. The landlord didn't do anything, he would say, wouldn't fix anything. The place, although it looked brand new, was falling apart. And you just had to keep paying. You just had to keep paying because you really didn't have money to fight this. You didn't have money to go to an attorney to get something done about this. You couldn't make anything happen. And so you kept paying and you kept paying and you kept paying, even though the landlord wasn't doing anything that he said he would do. And your life just got worse. You got broker and broker and broker and you lived in a terrible place. But a good landlord, there was a good landlord and the good landlord came and he paid the entire lease off for the bad landlord, and he said, you can come live here, and this was actually a good place. It wasn't falling apart. It was nice, and he said, "Uh, you don't have to pay. You can stay here, and after you're here for a while, something was tugging on you about your old place, and that old landlord, instead of staying where you were free, you thought to yourself, self, 
I think it would be a good idea if I just went back to that old landlord and started paying again and experiencing all the burden and brokenness of that particular lease again. And, and you did. You, you left and walked back in. And even though the door's open, you don't owe anything to this landlord, you kind of sat back down in it. That's what it means to be free and choose the cage. It's like when the people of Egypt were in the wilderness after they were uh, 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 rescued from the Egyptian slavery and they walked into the wilderness, through the waters, into the wilderness before they got in the promised land. They were like, can't we just go back to the old landlord? Please? You see, we do the same thing. And we have a very real issue when it comes to sin. And we have this choice like every day to indulge in sin and, and fall deeper into the burden of sin. Look, look, if I can explain it this way, when you were justified by faith, you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead and he freed you from sin. And you know you're going to heaven when you die. But I promise you, the enemy still wants you to live in hell before you go to heaven. This is as close as you ever get. And there's two ways of living, a new way that's free. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Or an old way that leads to death. It's the weirdest thing that we choose this old way even though we know the new way. And this is the problem that we're up against. Now, here's what Paul says. If you go to Romans chapter 6, verse 11, again, transitionally speaking, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's what he says we must do or must not do. Let not sin Therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Why? For sin will have no dominion over you, just like it has no dominion over Jesus, since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. So what does Paul say do and don't do? Paul uses complete body imagery. So, so when he says, present yourselves to God, or do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, he's talking about the whole body, mind, soul, and spirit. We'll just use head, heart, hands, and feet, but it's everything. It's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotion, it's your flesh, all of those things. So he says, um, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, your hands will get you in trouble if you present them to this tyrannical slave master's sin. Your feet will walk back to the bad landlord, will walk back to the cage if you present them to him. Right? Um, my mom used to sing this song when I was little. I, I hear it from time to time. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. You remember this song? Did you? Be careful, little hands, 
what you do. It's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter six. Be careful about presenting your mind, your will, your emotion to sin. Sometimes we feel stuck in sin, like we've gone back to the old master and we feel enslaved to sin. There's a good chance there are some of you that know Jesus here today, that know you're going to heaven when you die, but you're stuck in sin right now. You're stuck and you thought, as you walked in this room this morning, or maybe sometime this week, you thought you could never get out of this. What do you do? What do you do when that happens? Well, the doctrinal truth is true. Everything that, that I've said to you from Scripture is true. What do you do? Here's what you do. It's, it's simple. It's so scary, but it's simple. It's like, uh, hey, Walter, man, I'm struggling. I'm stuck right here, and I need help out. Can you help me? Now, the enemy doesn't want you to do that because he wants you to think, Walter, whoever you choose, is going to crush you if you identify the bad things that you're struggling with. But the scripture teaches us something else. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Some things are, are uh, tough habits to break, so to speak. You need other people, other Christians, other people that can help you walk with you and help lead you back onto a path of, of freedom. It's a simple step. It's very hard. And what happens, the other side of that ask is that you find the grace that, that you've been hearing about in Romans all this time. You find help, right? So you need to take a step, a practical step that looks like help. That, that's not presenting your, 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 your members, your hands, your feet, your mind, your will and emotion to that, that sin anymore. But how about... To just presenting them to, to God in the form of just telling somebody, another Christ follower, this is where I'm stuck. Does anybody know you fully in your life? 100% known. That's my motto. Like, there's got to be a few people in my life that know every stinking thing about me. Right? You do not need to be isolated or alone. Present your members then to God as instruments of righteousness. Instead of, instead of giving my head, my heart, my hands, my feet to, to sin and slavery, which always weighs me down, which always burdens me, which always tries to kill me, destroy me, give it to God. Give my head, my heart, my hands, my feet uh, to him as instruments of righteousness. Like sometimes we, when we're over here in the cage, we like point at this kind of teaching and say, that's legalism. I don't like legalism. In fact, neither does Paul. He's saying, you're not bound by the law, the essence of legalism. So you're free to present your instruments, your head, heart, hands, and feet to God to be used in righteousness. Like holiness is a good thing. It's a better way to live. So I want you to remember this word. It's not an English word but I think you'll remember it. It's mikvah, mikvah, M-I-K-V-E-H, mikvah. So our Jewish friends in the first and second century, 
before they, before, if, you, if you visit like a first or second or third century, fourth century, even synagogue, the first thing you see as you walk up to the synagogue is you see this hole in the ground with stairs going down into it. And in, in, in that time frame, there would have been water in that, that, that hole in the ground. That, hole, that, that thing is called mikvah. And what you do before you approach God, you present yourself to him uh, to be washed and made righteous. So you go into the mikvah and you give your, your head, you take the water and you give your head, your heart, your hands, your feet to the work of the Lord. You confess your sin and then you walk up into the synagogue. There's dozens of them around the Temple Mount today that archaeologists have dug up because everybody that was going up to meet with God, they washed like that. They gave their head, their heart, their hands, their feet to the work of the Lord, back to him, confessing anything that their hands had done that wasn't right, anything that their mind had thought that wasn't right, anything that their heart had willed that wasn't right, any direction that their feet had taken them that wasn't right, mikvah. I really seriously think I, I, I need one of these by my back door, <laughs> right? Like I walk out into life, I need to like go through the waters of mikvah before I start and I need to do it again before I come in. Like give my head, my heart, my hands and my feet to the work of the Lord because if I am not that intentional, I drift. I drift. Because this is really known, really usual, really comfortable. But this is the best way of living. This is the new way. And so Paul is saying, like, look, you have to be intentional. Don't present yourself for unrighteousness to sin. Instead, present your, your, your members, your whole self to God as an instrument of righteousness. That's a choice. God always does his part. He's done it. He justified us. It's by faith uh, that we receive that justification. His grace has been lavished on us. But as we're walking through life, he's asked us to make a choice every day with our head, our heart, our hands, and our feet. Sometimes I think that we, as the American church, are not intentional enough. We're fighting all the wrong battles. The battle is, which master will I serve? Be a slave to God. That's what Paul is saying. Give him your head, your heart, your hands, your feet. Now, he wraps up like this, Romans 6, 22 and 23. Verse 23, many of you have heard many times, uh, someone might have shared it with you as part of like the Roman road there used to be a, a track that people used to witness to uh, people with that, that had the Roman road, Romans 3.23, 6.23, 5.8, 9.10, all these like gospel rich, uh, and, and it's here, right here in Romans chapter 6.22 to 23. This is how he ties it up. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, slaves to God. Like every time you say Lord in your prayer, it, it, it is saying that he is Lord and I am his slave. That's, we don't like to be slaves to anybody, but in this relationship, we have left the slavery of sin and we have become slaves to a better master, to God himself who's justified us and who doesn't call us slaves but calls us sons and daughters. 
But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's like personal holiness now. And in, it's in eternal life. So, I mean, the, the very essence of this verse is you can live this life now. And its end will be eternal life. But you can be sanctified now. You can experience holiness with God now. Holiness like Jesus now. And then he says this. For the wages of sin is death. That's what, that's what that master brings. But the free gift of God, it's the reminder of the gospel again, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of my mentors said it this way, Brian, you're, you're not waiting for eternal life. You're living your eternal life now. It, you're living it now. It doesn't start when your heart stops beating in this body. It started when you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you were saved and justified by faith. Then you began living your eternal life life. Mikvah. Like if five, five weeks from now, if I ask you, what, what, what was the sermon on October 22, Bill? Do you, you remember? He won't. <laughs> he will not. But if you remember the word mikvah, maybe that will drive intentionality. Maybe you will say, I'm going to present my members, my, myself to God. I'm going to give my head, my heart, my hands, my feet to the righteousness of God today. It's a choice. It's a daily choice. It's intentional. And uh, it's our part. And it's the best way of living. Isn't it such a trap? I mean, think about it. Like people paint like the, the God way is so bound up with rules and stuff. And then you get over here and you realize like, oh, but this is, this is bound up with, with death, sin, destruction, chaos. And this leads to life. And it's like by grace and a free gift and such a lie from the enemy about the goodness of God. Consider it. Sum it all up. Do the bookkeeping. It's really that good. It's really that good. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord if there's anything else you'd like to say to you today? Father, would you, uh, would you take a look at the thoughts of our mind and the meditation of our heart? Would you search us? Would you look at the work of our hands and the direction of our feet? Would you search us? If there's anything in us that's sinful and not pleasing to you, would you bring that to our mind that we might confess it and repent and receive your forgiveness? Father, help us to choose the narrow path, the narrow gate, this new way of living. Jesus, you said you are the way, the truth, the life. 
Help us to walk in that. Father, if there are people here who have never trusted you as Savior and Lord to, to, to forgive them of sin, that they're, they're enslaved to sin still. And God, would you open their eyes to that? And would you give them the courage and compassion just to, to, to simply utter to you in prayer that, that they believe uh, that you died on the cross to save them from their sins and that you're coming back again, that you were resurrected and, and save their souls. Free them from sin and death. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. Jesus, we thank you for loving us, for giving yourself for us. Help us not to abuse grace. Help us to intentionally give ourselves over to you each and every day. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.